Guys, I know everybody wanted a win, but before you get too distraught, I would just like to say the Kings are a respectable team. They are good. They are better than their 5-4 and four record would indicate. There is no shame in losing to the Sacramento Kings. They have a good front court, DeMontis Sabonis. They have an excellent shooting backcourt, Keegan Murray, De'Aaron Fox, Kevin Herter. And they have a fan base who can fuck under any conditions for years at a time. Now, you may be asking yourself, what in the hell is Bob talking about? I will tell you. And this is there's no good way to do it. I'm just going to spit it out. I'm letting you behind the curtain. When I prepare the podcast, I like to go behind enemy lines because I think one of the most valuable things you can do is to do your due diligence to find out what's going on in the other community. What are the Kings fans upset about? What are they happy about? What are their struggles? What are their failings? And apparently, amongst the Sacramento Kings fan community, early season three-point shooting wasn't the only thing that betrayed them. Because in listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, I heard what is maybe the best endorsement ad that I've heard in niche basketball podcasting. The host delivers this ad read with no hesitation. A true pro's pro. But whoever wrote this copy is a special kind of psycho. The kind that could fuck their way through a natural disaster. I give you first the hook. This is the part where Matt makes an emotional connection with the audience. Because without that... Why would they listen to him as to making purchasing decisions? There needs to be some trust. There needs to be a rapport. And Matt gets right to it. We spend a lot of time talking together, you and I. We get fired up after wins or losses. We break down who's starting and who is sitting. I'm thankful for the connection that we have. And today I want our chat to be a little more personal. Okay, let's get personal. What do you want to talk about, Matt? I just learned that you can get a one-year supply on ED medications. You realize what that means? Bring on extended travel. Bring on next uh, the next natural disaster or supply chain issue. You are covered. All right. Like, I understand extended travel, even to a lesser degree, supply chain issues. But is there a big group of people who are purchasing erectile dysfunction medication as a way to make sure that they have optimal fucking ability during natural disasters because that's certainly what it feels like it feels like at some point tragedy was happening and there was some person in a call center fielding calls from sacramento king fans who had half rods and were dissatisfied with their inability to fuck Because to me, this means that at some point in human history, in the middle of a hurricane or a tornado or a tsunami or some boys soccer team trapped in a cave in Thailand and their coach called in and said, hey, guys, I know it may seem trivial at this moment, but I needs to fuck. Can you get something overnighted as soon as possible, please? Like right now, I'm in Los Angeles. And the 10 freeway was lit on fire to the point where the governor is declaring a state of emergency. They think a homeless person lit a storage yard full of pallets and hand sanitizer, which apparently is very flammable. Anyway, the 10 freeway is engulfed in flames. And at that moment, someone looking out their window at this giant five alarm fire, they've got their dick in their hand, the phone in the other. I want to lay the pipe. My mailbox is gone, but you can ship it to the 7-Eleven. I will climb over the dead bodies to pick it up, and then I will take 
some sad woman whose whole family is perished to pound town. You are covered. Now, let me be clear. I'm not criticizing Matt. In fact, I admire him. I admire the fact that he must be so relatable that there is a large enough portion of the Sacramento Kings fan base who likes to get boners during natural disasters that it warranted somebody spending advertising money on it. That's honestly more impressive than anything that transpired on the basketball court tonight. So let's get into the Cavs and Kings first. I'll play you this open, a palate cleansing open. 45 seconds if you want to skip through it. Welcome to Fear the Fro. Shot blocked by Mobley. Holy Mobley. Donovan Mitchell is 8 for 8 from downtown. Darius Garland. Hit it from Euclid. Lock down. Pow. Oh, that was gorgeous. A Cleveland Cavalier podcast. What do we need to add? What do we need to give coach? The game has come down to space and opportunity. We address that. Hosted by the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, his name is Bob Schmidt. Bob, Bob Schmidt. Schmidt. Spectacular talent. That guy is a legend. Got at the buzzer! Well, this was definitely not the way I hoped things would go. I can't say that I'm entirely surprised because this so far has been the story of the Cleveland Cavaliers fans' season. You see a good win, an impressive effort, nice engagement, and then the next game, you immediately lose. The Cavaliers go win-loss, 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 win-loss. That is the nature of this season so far. However, I thought maybe we'd turn the corner after last game. We got... A very engaged effort, nice balance, a lot of 15-10-5 type performances across the board. Tonight, however, that did not happen. Now, this game was a story of basically three things. Early dominance by DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox in the first quarter. A third quarter where we got absolutely smoked as Kevin Herter scored 14 of his 20 total points in the third quarter. He was raining threes all over us. And finally, no easy buckets. We, I mean, last game, we got over 30 points off of turnovers. This game, eight, and only two fast break points. And despite the fact that we pulled in 14 offensive rebounds, those second chances weren't enough for us to overcome just back-breaking three after back-breaking three. It, we never really got a chance to string together a big run. And unfortunately, on the other side of the ball, the Kings did it in a timely fashion when they needed to. They closed the third quarter on a 9-0 run, which stretched their lead to 21 points, and that was essentially all she wrote. Going into the third, eight points, it seemed like a lot, but that's definitely doable in Cavalier basketball. Now, right out of the gate, you kind of came away with a bad feeling from this game, despite the fact that we hung around. In the first quarter, Donovan Mitchell could not make anything. He missed Every single shot. He was 0 for 5. Garland was 1 of 4. Mitchell didn't make his first field goal until there was eight minutes left in the first half. Sabonis, on the other hand, didn't miss a basket until there was four minutes left in the first half. He was killing it. 16, 5, and 5 at halftime on 6 of 8 from the floor. Mike Brown could have got him the triple-double. He was one rebound away, which arguably is the easiest of the points assist rebound triple-double for a guy of Sabonis' stature. But I guess he didn't want to rub it in, and Sabonis ends up with the LeBron-like one stat away from a triple-double performance this evening. 
Fox made you realize the defensive limitations of Adarius Garland. That is an exceptionally tough cover for him. And not having a Coro hurts in situations like that. It was one thing to have Fox come back, but to not have a Coro to do that makes it even more difficult because it did feel like he was going to get to where he wanted to get to, and he didn't even have to force the issue from outside the arc because as far as where he got his shots from, his shot chart was pretty much an inside feast. And his first two buckets of the game right out of the gate, he he gets the ball off of the jump ball, and he puts his shoulder right into Darius, dislodges him, and then kind of goes through Evan to get his own offensive rebound and make a basket. It's it's one thing to be strong, but to have that level of speed that he has, you get that kind of momentum downhill, and you can dislodge just about anyone, including a Jared Allen or an Evan Mobley. Before he got hurt, he had hung damn near two 40-point games, high 30-point games, and he kind of picked up where he left off because this was a loud 28. This was an easy 28, I think is a better way to describe it because it it felt like due to the other guys also getting basically whatever they wanted that he didn't have to assert himself. But every time he got Garland, he got by him at will. He got mid-range pull-ups at will, backdoor cuts against him. I mean, it was a variety of ways to score from Fox. And speaking of defensive failings, we have to talk about that third quarter. That third quarter, we came in down eight. We left down 21. They scored 42 points, but here's the most devastating part of that. The Kings missed only six field goal attempts in a 42-point effort. That's over 72% from the floor, nearly 73%, and eight three-pointers on well over 60%. Just nobody's even close. The Pacers and the Thunder, they both hung 30-plus points on us in the first quarter, but nobody has come anywhere close to 42 points. Now, just on a more general level, DeMontis Sabonis is one of the most frustrating bigs to face in the NBA for this Cavalier team. I feel like there's certain guys who I hate the matchups, and we're actually getting another one on a back-to-back here. I have never liked the Cavaliers' matchups against DeAndre Ayton. He has had some of his best games, I feel like, against us. But just look at the rest of this month. We get Sabonis, we get Ayton, we get Embiid, we get Jokic, Anthony Davis. Those are all terrible matchups for us, very tough challenges. Now that's three games in a row that the Cavaliers have dropped to the Sacramento Kings. Last year, 12 times and 14 times, respectively, he went to the free throw line against two such disciplined defenders in Allen and Mobley to be able to just use his strength and use the pump fakes and the little inside elbow hooks that he does. And he's very smart. I don't even feel like it's grifty. I just feel like it's unfair that a man can physically punish our bigs with his strength, but he's also deft enough with the footwork to manage to be able to bait guys into fouls that don't typically get caught with those. That one at the end of the half, I thought Evan tried to go pretty vertical. Sabonis was smart enough to kind of just throw himself underneath Mobley there on the drive, and he got to the line. So, I mean, karma intervened. Now, I don't want to dwell anymore on the successes of the Kings. There are some moral victories to take out of this loss. Let's begin with the first and the most obvious, which is that the sixth man of the year campaign of Karis LeVert continues full steam ahead. Another evening in which he shot 
over 50%, scored over 20 points. And at the conclusion of the evening, he is now the leading bench scorer in the NBA. 19 points a game. Tim Hardaway Jr. now looking up at him. It's sort of what I would call a four-man race as of now. Kelly Oubre Jr., who somebody tried to take out of the race. Where was Karis LeVert the other evening? Because somebody did Karis a bit of a solid by taking out one of his main competitors. Now, presumably, Oubre will be back at some point. But between that and the fact that Malcolm Brogdon, who we will see in our next game against the Portland Trailblazers, has been pushed into a starting role due to the injuries to Scoot Henderson, that takes two of the primary four best bench players so far this season in the NBA, and it throws their future candidacy into question or knocks them out if and when they've eventually started too many games. Now, Cam Thomas would have been right there, but he's starting at this point. So you're essentially debating between Tim Hardaway Jr. on a more successful team doing basically the same numbers and Karis LeVert. Now, I would like to tell you, I think Karis LeVert's a shoe-in. My hope is that through these nine games, we'll continue to get that type of consistent play, and he will win. But Tim Hardaway Jr. would probably be my pick at this exact moment, simply because their team success is going to be factored in, and him playing such a massive role in it. Plus, they've they've logged more games than us at this point. But efficiency-wise, Karis LeVert is atop the list. He's beaten Jalen Smith, he's beaten Brogdon, and he's beaten Tim Hardaway Jr. So, you can still get relatively decent odds. He's plus 1,500. So he's climbed in the list, but, I mean, he's not a favorite by any stretch of imagination. That is one positive. Second positive, did you happen to notice who the leading scorer was in the first quarter for the Cleveland Cavaliers? That It wasn't Donovan Mitchell who did not score. It was George Yang who finally knocked down 50% of his three-point looks, and he was pretty good inside, too. Finished the evening 5 for 7 for 12 points. We had seven double-digit scores yet again. We had over 50% shooting from outside the arc from Levert, from Yang, from Max Struess. Unfortunately, it didn't end up mattering because we couldn't come back from what was a pretty rough shooting night from Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. But I think you have to feel good about Max Struess. Again, stuff in the stat sheet, 19-5-4, and four, five triples. And there was one particular sequence where he and Donovan Mitchell had this beautiful two-man game at the top of the key. They kept trying to bring doubles to Donovan from that left high elbow, and he would find Struess. Struess was great at relocating to the left corner to get open looks. So, I think they're starting to really find a rhythm together that's going to hopefully help us turn this thing around. Tonight was a tough pill to swallow, of course. Now, I want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff I'm excited to see against... Well, no. First, let me get this out of the way. Because before we put the Golden State Warriors completely in the past, you need to hear something that I found annoying, so I think you'll find it annoying. In the aftermath, how many of you guys caught Steve Kerr's discussion about Draymond's ejection because he was asked in the post-game press conference and he had the following to say how did they explain all thing to explain his ejection said, uh, that he got a technical for elbowing Mitchell a couple plays before maybe so I had never heard of this rule but apparently you can retroactively call a technical on someone 
from two plays before upon review. Wasn't two plays before. It feels very disingenuous, that statement. You're on the sideline while they're doing the review. You know when it happened. It happened immediately before he pulled himself out of the stands that Draymond hurled him into and ran him down and confronted him. You know that was, if you want to be technical, one play before. But even that's a disingenuous way to describe it because it was made basket, turn around, run the other way. You tried to exploit the fact that Donovan Mitchell was out of the play by rushing the ball down the court. So if you want to separate that play because there was a basket that occurred during the cheap shot, so be it. But it's a horseshit way of presenting it. And it's fucking annoying. And also you're eating during the press conference. Jesus Christ, what are you? Some dickhead who swears on a podcast all the time? You're the coach of the Golden State Warriors. There's lots of plays I'd like to go back to from three years ago. And, you know, I don't That was bizarre. Well, you wouldn't be able to go back three years ago because that was never the case. It was literally the play right before it. The, the amount of excuses that Warriors fans, that Warriors coaches, apparently, that Warriors players will make, literally anything they can cling to to prevent Draymond from being held accountable for situations Draymond always causes. Now, did you see Draymond's statement in the aftermath, too, I'm giving you three things here. I'm giving you Draymond's statement. I played that for you. And you need to also hear something that was from a podcast that all I found irritating. Anyway, Draymond went on Instagram and said the following. I'm in year 12, and y'all still telling me to stop being Draymond. Don't get a tech. Blah, blah, blah. 12 years later, and y'all still trying to coach me on how to be me? I'm better at being Draymond than anybody. Now, let me pause there for just a second, because to that specific portion, nobody is trying to tell Draymond how to be Draymond. They're telling Draymond, don't be an asshole. It just so happens that Draymond is an asshole, so Draymond is hearing that as, don't be myself. Now, back to his statement... Imagine if I told y'all how to do your job. You'd look at me crazy. Can we hold up for a second? What is the new media exactly, Draymond? What was this speech about if you say something, you got to stand on it? All the critiques you have for the old media or what are the legacy media? Seems to me you do a lot of telling people how to do their job. And by the way, the Draymond Green podcast, the last episode was posted either in June or July. It has been months since that man has released a podcast. But he's got plenty of opinions on how the media and how the fans should conduct themselves. Get the fuck out of here with that. Back to his statement. I thought y'all should know how dumb you all look trying to tell me how to be me. If y'all had some advice for your own lives, the world would be a much better place and you would be far better at your job than your mediocre outputs. Happy Sunday, good people. Right back at it like an attic. Draymond doing the, your life sucks, my life's great, how can you tell me? It sounds a lot like this. Does it bother you that so many people are happy to see you fail? Absolutely not. All the people that was rooting on me to fail, you know, at the end of the day, they gotta wake up tomorrow, have the same life that they had um, before they woke up today. You know, they gotta get back to the real world at some point. No surprise that you would do basically what LeBron did, but worse and more ham-handedly as a man who just appears to love to live in his shadow. 
Now, I hated that by LeBron, too, by the way, for as big of a LeBron fan as I am. The whole tactic of, like, I'm above critique because I'm more successful than you. Come on, man. Come on. It's a fair critique. They're simply asking that you don't cheap shot people. I don't think that's unreasonable. You may be asking yourself, well, Bob, you said you like to, you know, jump around, listen to other teams' podcasts to hear how their perspective differs than yours. I did the same thing. After this previous comment on the Light Years podcast. Shocker. All the good teams are in the West yet again. Boston, Philly, half of a Miami and a half of a sure. Milwaukee are good, but sure. most of the East is a joke. Of course I wanted to check back in and see if they gave the Cavs their due respect. And the subject of the Draymond play came up. This was the explanation of why Draymond's ejection was not warranted. He bumped Donovan Mitchell in transition. A little bit of a cheap shot. But also, like, let's be honest, it's not that uncommon for dudes to hit guys in transition when other dudes aren't looking, you know, when refs aren't looking. Like, that's just, that's basketball. Now, it's a bitch move for me to even be pulling clips and responding to them when I, I'm not giving them the opportunity to respond to me, although they could. I would, I would welcome the conversation because it's this kind of mental gymnastics that I don't understand. Like, if you say the following. A little bit of a cheap shot. A little bit of a cheap shot is just a cheap shot. You can qualify it however you want, but you don't hear rapists making the argument, well, it was just the tip. It's the act of committing the cheap shot in any form, no matter how severe the fallout from it, whether Donovan Mitchell had broke his neck or whether he narrowly avoided injury, it's still a cheap shot. That's what needs to be weeded out of the game. And this whole, well, it happens. Other guys do it. It's part of basketball. Other guys should be punished too. People hitting people in the back while they're not looking, while they're close to the sideline that's loaded with photographers and fans and other things they could break their leg or hyperextend something on or trip over or hurt someone. I'm not excusing someone who gets caught doing it because there's other people who didn't get caught doing it. And just to be clear, I would have been perfectly fine with, with Donovan Mitchell getting a technical, despite the fact that he at least had the balls to run up to Draymond while Draymond was looking at him. But again... Because Draymond was so stupid earlier in the game when Yang, he still would have been the only one ejected. If you're going to stand on the argument that he shouldn't have been punished because it was one play prior, essentially what you're trying to tell me is that the difference between what Draymond doing being considered wrong and punishable and not is a made basket by Karis LeVert. Because what if Karis LeVert missed that layup and the ball is still live? Then it counts as part of the same play, right? And then all of a sudden it's wrong? That logic makes no sense. The difference between a punishable cheap shot and a cheap shot we have to let go is the shooting efficiency of Karis LeVert, an unrelated third party. Listen to yourselves. How many years of Draymond Green do we have to go where people will talk themselves in circles to explain away the fact that the guy is an asshole who regularly does stuff that could get people hurt. Fuck that guy, fuck the people that carry water for him, and fuck Steve Kerr for acting like he doesn't understand why that was something that could be reviewed. Now let's wrap it up. I mean, I got stuff I want to talk about with the Blazers, but I have a guest coming on to do that, 
and it's going to come out pretty close to the game. So hopefully I'll either frame it in a way where it's it's not super timely if I don't think I'm going to get it to you and with enough time to really listen before the game happens. Or it'll be something where I release it that day and it's just going to be a quick, dirty rundown of everything happening in Portland. But here's a name you should pay attention to because he's playing some intriguing basketball off the bench for the Portland Trailblazers, and that's Tumani Kamara. He, Shaden Sharp, Skyler Mays even, another Hawks cast off point guard, shades of Brandon Goodwin, but playing much better. There's a lot of exciting young prospects there. Uh, and we'll kind of break down all that stuff coming up. Thank you to everybody who has listened to the Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you for the subscriptions, the people who've checked out the videos on the YouTube page, the ratings, the reviews. I am grateful for all of them. So that will be it for now. We'll be back with some Blazers coverage next time on the Fear the Fro podcast. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro It's over. Podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.